Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. I am Jason here with Brian and Tommy, and this is a very special episode. This is the last episode that we will be recording before Brian goes back to Thailand. So the next time you hear Brian on this podcast, he might have the accent back. So enjoy the American Brian while you still have it. But we wanted to talk about a few things here, and uh, I'm going to kick it over to Brian for that. So over the last several months, We've been all over the United States, traveling, speaking, and doing different meetings with people and friends that we hadn't seen in a while. And I noticed three small areas from that I've observed from these relationships over the years and the different areas that we're involved in and where our ministry has come since we first started. And I wanted to kind of share these three ideas and get your feedback onto them on them, as well as how does that affect mentoring and how does this tie into our life and how would we get there? And also, if you don't like the ideas, you're free to shoot them down. So here they are. The first one is small deliberate habits make a powerful difference. Small deliberate habits make a powerful difference. The second one that I observed was the power of relationships and the willingness to step into another person's world. The power of relationships and the willingness to step into another person's world. And the third one is being fully responsible is the core of freedom. Being fully responsible is the core of freedom. And again, these are just some things I observed and we can, we can pull them apart, but I believe if you take a look at them, when we got, have these things working for us, it changes everything. It doesn't matter what endeavor you want to go into. If you're just trying to build a new relationship, if you're just trying to uh, venture into a new field, I believe these things are building blocks that coincide distinctly with identity, strength, courage, and influence, but maybe a little bit more specific that we can put into practice. So with that, I kind of want your thoughts on them and what stands out to you and maybe if you want some clarification or push back on those. So on this small deliberate habits, making the biggest differences thing, we've talked about this a few times in some different episodes. And I think we've all shared different stories or different aspects of how we've seen that work in our lives on a practical level. But I was also thinking about it when it comes to mentoring and leadership. It's not just the, if I can mentor someone or be a leader to someone in this huge life-changing crisis, then I'm a leader and a mentor and I've changed their life. What about the daily and weekly connections with people that end up making the biggest differences? And I think a lot of times when it comes to mentoring or maybe even in church as pastors, we don't really think about these small little things. We think I've got this big message or this big conference and that changes lives and gets people saved. And great, it does. But are we then neglecting all the little things? Are we neglecting discipleship and it's great that you got saved and had your life changed. Now, how do you go to work tomorrow and still face some of these old things and old habits? I think sometimes we've been having a lot of the practical discussions on it when it comes to life. Like Tommy, you've been talking about business. I've talked about um, my health journey and all these things and all the small steps have made the hugest difference. But I don't know if we always, maybe there's different areas of life where we need to take that application. Does that make sense? Yeah, and maybe it's um, what's important. I think maybe it's hard to even do small things that we think might be good, but maybe we don't. It's hard to see what is the value of this with all the other things I could be doing. So, man, I could be doing X, Y, or Z. Do I really need, need to be doing B? And I think sometimes we weigh that out as not being important. And I, I think we should we kind of talked about this on the last couple of podcasts. So maybe we could just highlight a couple of things, but then uh, if we can move forward on that, but I'm going to ask you, Tommy, when you're, you know, being a, just out of college, entering into your, your profession, um, you started through these little steps. What was the step you did in the early time of college that you feel now has benefited you unknowingly today i think what has benefited me the most through the college experience and now in my career is having these homework assignments that feel meaningless 
but that come together to create something purposeful is really been important in my field because all, you know, I make X amount of calls a day, send X amount of emails per day. And it just seems like these small little meaningless tasks that I just have to get through to make myself feel like I accomplished something for the day. Right. But those little things actually are building to something greater are building to the goals that I want to hit that my boss has laid out for me, the vision he's casted for us going forward. Those little things all add up to this big accomplishment. And that's what I've seen the most with like schools, like these little assignments that just seem like little stupid assignments that are like, why am I doing this? But it all leads to the graduation, the fulfillment, the degree. And that is what has helped me with my job going forward. Not necessarily like a specific skill that I've learned in school. Like, yeah, all that's great. Learning how to present, learning how to discuss, learning how to interact with other people, how to be a part of a group. That's all important. But I think that just that little building blocks to create something meaningful. Is the intentionality of the little things important in that? Because I'm thinking when it comes to like homework and school, I think, well, okay, if I just drown them in eight hours of homework, then that's building character because they're learning to do all these small things. Or there's this employee, and if I give them just a ton of meaningless tasks to do, then that'll build some discipline in their life long-term. Or does there have to be some intentionality and purpose behind those little things? There has to be intentionality behind those little things. Um, I would say in all these little assignments, it's not like I ever gave up on them or just like, was like, okay, I'm not going to do them or just completely wash them away. Like I still did them and I was intentional in thinking, okay, what can I learn from this assignment? Even if it feels stupid and meaningless. And I think you have to be intentional about going forward and pushing into that. Like every email I have, I'm like, okay, how can I make this one step better to make it actually interesting that someone will read? How, my next call, how am I going to get that first five seconds that someone will actually give me a time of day? Like those are the little things that like build through the day that actually like give you a sense of purpose. And meaning. Okay. One more thought from you guys. So those are more uh, goal, kind of goal-driven small things. Like you basically are, you could say in college, you know, you had to learn to chunk it down in order to get to the your finish line and this you got to kind of chunk down your day in order to get to a sale or will you break it down methodically and you think like that a lot more some people think more on the creative side so it's a little bit more outside of that realm you're you're very good at those methodical getting to that point in those goal setting building blocks what is something that either one of you have done um, that you see now has been very fruitful in your life. We'll leave it on this final point and then we'll move on to the point number two. But what's something you guys have seen that had nothing really to do with your pursuit of where you are in life, but became such a valuable thing you've done regularly? Like we've talked about fitness, but let's go back further. Something that you just is a part of your life that is now played in, like maybe something you're a parent taught you or you took on that you still do today and you don't even, it's just almost become subconscious in the building block. I think one thing for me was just like pretty early on in my life. Like I remember my grandma always saying like, have a firm handshake. And like whenever we went to church, it was like, she would shake her hand and she'd be like, better be firm. You know, you better have a good handshake. This, this means something. And I think going forward, that helped me realize like the importance of like that first impression with like relationships and that those really, that like, that really matters, you know, and like how you introduce yourself to someone is how they're going to remember you going forward. And you can, you can screw up all the rest, but if you make that first impression really good, like you'll have a relationship going forward and it'll at least give you some time to build a relationship with those people. And I think invest like in being intentional about investing in relationships, even when it seems meaningless 
or when it seems like what like what's the point in me doing this like there doesn't seem to be a benefit looking looking back now it's like I didn't know what was going to happen now in the future with those relationships like even with the job I have now like it's it all came from relationships that I wasn't expecting I didn't go to school thinking this is this is what I was going to come out and do but it was a friend from high school who I don't know intentional relationship hmm. Do you still think about the handshakes or is it just like a subconscious thing you don't even think about anymore? Or is that still part of your thought process? I'm meeting a new person, get the handshake ready. A lot of it is subconscious now, but it's definitely, you still have to be intentional in doing it. Like just cause now I know like I can, I can go out and meet people. There's still days where it's like, I don't like I don't want to talk to you I really don't like I like I'm spent there's no reason to talk to you 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 know this is just me thinking like yes they're actually like in in my worldly body that's what I'm thinking you know my human nature I'm like why or this this time spent would be meaningless but being intentional in those moments are almost like an investment into the future. And so I would say it's, yes, it's some subconscious of like all the little things, but like the intentional act of like going out of my way to like introduce myself to someone when you're at church and like someone on stage says something or maybe the guest speaker, like actually being intentional and in going out and like seeking that person out and just being thankful so you never know where that will lead. Well, my my thing from my youth days is kind of similar but different. There's when I was a kid, and this was instilled in me by my parents was, if you see a piece of garbage on the ground, pick it up. And I remember specifically that carrying with me through, especially in college, when it you know I'm not at home anymore, not at my high school, not at my home church where I'm comfortable. I'm at some random church or I'm at a university on some random floor. And there's a piece of garbage on the floor. And it's not, I didn't put it there. It's not my job to pick it up. There are people that are hired to clean these things up. But what it ended up doing was instilling this idea in me of, I am not here to just glide through this, this day or this building or whatever it is. There's things that I can do. And I'm here to, I guess, give something. I want to leave it better than I found it to be super cliche with it. But it wasn't like a, you know, let's, Let's leave the room better than we found it, like a chore. It was more like, I'm going to be a person that makes things better. And if that's picking up trash, okay, cool. If it's having this conversation, cool. If it's helping with this building project, whatever it is. If it's talk, whatever it is, I'm here to make something better. As opposed to, I'm here to get something from the people around me. And this building's here to serve me. And the the people in this building are here to serve me. And that kind of helps at restaurants too, because... You know, we call them servers at restaurants, but I don't really think of it as I'm going to Applebee's and you're my server. So you're here to do things for me. My mindset is how can I do something nice for you? And, and I'll give a caveat to this because the whole picking up garbage thing, you might think that, well, my house is very clean and tidy then it's not. And Brian can attest to this, having lived a little bit at my house the last few months being in the States, my house is not always tidy. I have four kids. A lot of times it's a mess and that's a whole different thing. And we can talk about that another time, but there's a mindset that was instilled in me of not being a taker, but being someone that makes something better. And that's carried with me in a lot of areas. When I'll say to Jason's point is, yeah, you have kids and they're busy doing stuff, but at the end of the night, you know, they do their pickup, you feel clean. Like you go into a house that, okay, you got kids and there's toys all over. Cause you just have four kids in the living room playing with toys but it's very different than feeling unclean. It's clean. Like it's a, it's a clean environment. So I can see what that whole, what you were talking about. And I think it's interesting. All of these pieces are kind of tying into our second point is it leads to relationships. So you're bringing up the waiter and the server. You can't help, but these habits. So let me close on the one point with the habit that I think is really important is 
those that I've seen that do have deliberate habits and habits is something you do. Habits isn't a calling. It isn't part of your personality. The reason it's called a habit is because it's something you do repetitive. So you can do a good habit and you can do a bad habit, but we, we are in charge of our habits. So that's something we intentionally do. And you do something long enough, you will continue to do those things. And I think that's very important for anybody listening. It's like, well, it's just not really my personality. Habits have nothing to do with personality. It just has to do with something that's right or something that's beneficial that need to be a part of your life. No one really likes brushing their teeth, especially late at night when you're tired, but we just do it because it's, it's the right thing to do. So we create habits that are right. And so even just like principles of Jesus, it's not so much that the, anything he asks us to do, if we would just slowly start with the habit of it, it creates something in us that has a long-term benefit. So if we really trust that God's a good God, anything he's asking us to do within a habit that even if it seems hard or seems monotonous for a moment is all for the purpose of getting us to the place that we are going to say, wow, I didn't know you had that for me. It, it's all to, to get us to that point, but it's just, we can't see to the scope. And so there's habits that he, we put in, put into play, but it, it, it ties into everything. Athletes, business, you're, but you're responsible for your habits. They don't come naturally, right? <laughs> it, it, every habit's deliberate, but this leads us into the point. Number two is the power of relationships and stepping into another person's world. And I thought it was interesting, Tommy, you kind of actually use that as part of your habit of a firm handshake. Um, be nice to everyone. You don't know where you're going to meet them. Uh, be kind to everyone, even on your way up somewhere up in life, because at some point you're going to come back down and you're going to run back into those type of people that you stepped on to get up and it won't be as pleasant. This, this ties us into many different things. Let's sh share one quick story. One, one is I, I, it was so much of a blessing of, you know, you spend time contributing into other people's lives, but I kind of felt overwhelmed the other way coming into America this time of how many people stepped out of their way to be a part of assisting us in our journey throughout around the country and welcome us into their homes. And it, it really took me off guard. Like, wow, I feel really humbled and vulnerable at the same time of, of what people did in our lives. But I have to believe this was somewhere we valued them as a relationship and part of that journey. But now it's coming back. And it's not like if you do this, you get this back. We're not talking about karma. We're talking about the, the, the attitude of this. I know like even in our, when we first started working with the government in Thailand, there's a, there's a hierarchy in the culture, very, very distinct hierarchy. And there's a shame culture. So the lower don't talk to the upper, the upper talks to the lower in throughout every different realm within the culture. And it was interesting. Uh, there was a season where we first got in working with the Ministry of Justice and we were working with the juvenile probationers at the time and things weren't being laid out the way that we wanted them to. So our director at the time was going to go to the head and ask him to fix it. And he would have, he would have just changed it in a moment. And I said, no, you can't do that. Because at some point he's going to move on. And we're going to have to work with the rest of the staff. So if there's a problem with the staff, we need to go deal with them and find out what we could do different to change that relationship because they didn't want us here. And the reason, part, many factors why they didn't want us here, but one of the key ones was they were being told they had to have us. And we were kind of messing with their jobs. Even though we were volunteering our time and giving, we were making them look bad in their eyes. So what we did is we went to the lowest person possible. And this was really humbling on our director's part because he didn't want to because he was a director and I shouldn't have to go talk to the lady who's cleaning to get permission to do something. I can tell her, you need to do this. I go, no, no, you need to go ask. Well, we started that whole thing. And pretty soon over the years, we developed such relationship with all the staff. Whenever a new director would come in, they would all say, oh, no, you got to have Mission 300 come into you have to reinstate their contract because we want them here. And it all started with that relationship piece. And so um, 
this idea of stepping into another person's world, that means willing to listen to their stories because we all want to be heard. We all desperately want to be heard. But if you'll just stop and not tell your story, but listen to someone else's, you're going to find something really powerful happen in that conversation. So the willing to hear and step into another person's world, that's the main step of going into another person's world is being interested in their story. So with that, what do you guys see in that? Is that something that's, that's critical to what you do in life? Or is that just some neat little cliche that's over here on the side? This might be too, too off <clears throat> to fit in, so we can cut it if we need to. It was reminding me of a, um, a masterclass I watched with, I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to be like the head negotiator for the FBI or the CIA or something. And he was talking about communicating with people and whether it's in business and you're trying to get deals done or just personally developing relationships, ask them questions. Like if someone says, oh, you're at a party together and say, oh, the food here is pretty good. You, you don't respond with, yeah, I like the food too. And start telling your story. You essentially repeat things back to them, mirror them and ask them to continue their story. Say, oh, the food's really good. What do you like about the food? Oh, you're having a great time here. What are you enjoying about the time here? And that opens people up. And I, he was talking about it in a context of, you know, and you could use this for manipulative reasons, obviously. And he, he wasn't saying to do that. It was really more just here's how people work. And if you want to get to know someone, start engaging in their story and asking them to continue their story because people do want to tell it and they want to be heard. But most of us are so anxious to start telling our story and not even for nefarious reasons, just because Sometimes we think that's how we connect with people is, well, let me share my story with you. And sometimes there's a place for that, sure. But the deepest part is to get them to continue their story. And that's how you get to know someone. It was really fascinating when he went to the psychology behind it and did some demonstrations. It's like, I would have done the same thing. I want to tell my story. People want to tell their stories. I mean, yeah, I would agree with everything that's been said. I mean, I've heard stories of, and I've experienced it myself where people... I'll talk with someone. I'm just asking them questions and they walk away and they're like, wow, he's such a great guy. I didn't do anything. I just asked some simple questions and listened. And like, that is super important. Like just being someone to listen and ask some questions. Like you don't know where that will lead you and where that will take you and what that relationship will, will do. You know, there's quite a lot of people who, who want to talk and want to share and want to be heard that don't get that every day and to be that person that just listens. I mean, you have two ears and one mouth. Makes sense. It kind of takes me to this idea of why do we want to be heard so bad? But that's a whole nother day. The fact of the matter is we do want to be heard. And I think it's interesting, Jesus, like he'll cut when he would, he would go up to a person that was, I can't think of a specific story, but I, I can't remember if it was the leper or the blind man. I think it was the blind man came up to him and Jesus didn't say to him, well, let me get rid, get your eyes fixed. Let me take care of that. Let me, like, he didn't look at the man and see what the problem was and say, let me, let me fix that. He looked at the man and says, what can I do for you? Or even the man that was dropped down through the ceiling, son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, don't you see the guys like lame on the mat? I think he wants to be healed. He didn't get dropped down. So his sins could be forgiven. He got dropped down so he could stand up and walk. Right. Or at least when I read the story, that was my first assumption. And I was sitting there listening. Why was that? Because what he really wanted was his heart cleansed. Then he stood up and walked. So it's funny, if we'll listen, we can actually get to the heart of the thing of what the person needs. And now we become the, we can help become an answer or to become a support. But if we don't listen, we automatically, we, we can tend to assume what they're actually needing. And we wonder why it's not really going over well, but that's not what they're needing. What they're needing is something different. And I can spend more time, but for the art of wanting to hear you guys, I'm going to hold back of another story. Isn't that marriage advice 101 
for husbands to wives, like don't try to fix the problem initially because the problem that's up is not really the issue. The issue is deeper than that. And so there's this problem with her sister or someone at work, or she's not feeling good about something. That thing is not the problem. But if you listen and engage and, and get to the root of it, there's something deeper than that. But since I'm so perfect at it, I never make this mistake of the instant there's a problem saying, well, I know how to fix that. Here's the solution. So why are you still upset about it? Why is it still a problem? Can we move on now? And for some reason that doesn't really help the conversation and help the relationship when I approach it that way, because it's not about this fact that, you know, the pumpkins in the garden got eaten by squirrels, like there's something else going on. So I've kind of started to learn after nine and a half years of marriage that if I Stop trying to just fix the initial thing I see and just engage into her world and what's going on there. Then there's something that happens in the relationship that's good. But if I just go in there with my verbal conversational fix-it tools, it's going to get worse. I think to add to that too is just in my life, I've always seen that when I have people come into my life and ask me questions, they can really drill down, not even knowing they don't they don't have to say this is what I think the issue is, Tommy. They just ask some questions and I just start talking and I'm like, oh, okay, I know exactly what the issue is now. And it just becomes clear as day. And it's because there's someone there who's willing to invest and go beyond just the surface level questions. I mean, I've had many times with you guys where you guys ask a question and then, well, okay, well, what do you really mean? And I talk some more, well, what do you really mean? And then it comes down, it's like, okay, now the truth finally comes out and this is what I'm dealing with. This is what's going on. How do I fix this? And then that's when you can actually change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just interesting, like, that's mentorship, right? Just be willing to ask some questions and not let people's false <laughs> little hide I don't want a deep relationship come up and I've done and I've learned that from you guys and I've been able to do that with friends too it's like mm. hey oh, I, I see this tell me about this well the, ah, okay that's not really come on what do you and then they you know you you push and you push and push and they, they finally they, they're talking so much they just talk themselves into realizing this is you know this is the problem and I and it's not that I came to them and told them the problem. It's that they they now realize the problem and now they can do something to fix it because they actually know about it and they discovered it by themselves, not by you coming and being like, hey, you need to fix this. Is I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm stubborn and would never fix that. Well, and, and don't we have to be both of those people at times? Because there's times where I need to be the person who's having the questions asked to me so that I can peel back these layers. And I've started to find out that you can actually do that with God too. There have been so many times, especially the last handful of years where there's this issue and I'll just start talking to God about it. And I don't hear him respond with, well, here's the solution to your problems. Do this and then this and then this, and then shut up. You'll be fine. It's more like, is that really what you're upset about right now? Or, all right, take a step back and look at it now. Let's, Let's look at this thing that's really bothering you that you're upset about. What if you didn't give it so much power over you? Then how would you feel? And not, not from like a condemning question, like, why do you let it have so much power over you? But more like, let's just imagine that it didn't affect you. Then how would you feel? And there's just ways that it's, it's weird when you start to realize, oh, I can actually talk to God about stuff too. But I guess my point is sometimes we're on the both ends of that whole thing. You're the question asker. And sometimes need the questions thrown at you in your face like a pie you guys said some things very interesting that kind of ties all this up is at least doesn't tie it up as a whole context but at least from that point when we can shift over to master listening over master speaking first or trying to be the answer to everything we develop the relationships that last that people keep coming back to. And it is even interesting that God is the best listener. But when we will stop with our things for just a moment and listen, that's when we become powerful. 
And so there is something way more powerful on the listening side of things in a relationship than on the speaking side of things. And so I have to, you know, when you learn something, you want to share it, right? And you want somebody to hear it and you're excited about it. Be a quick listener. But maybe from a place of advancing your life, taking in a sense of maturity, that maybe what you have to say is good, but it's not for the time you'll know, because maybe it'll hit a point they'll ask you, what do you think about this? And then you can have that opportunity. But when you're a master listener, you're also valuing them to such a degree, it, it, it starts removing that hierarchy of who you are to that relationship. Very powerful tool. This is So that's the second one that I saw of, first one was uh, those and myself that have made small deliberate habits. Um, some of my habits aren't good ones, so we're making better ones, but small deliberate habits make a powerful difference in your life. Uh, the power of relationship and the stepping into another person's world is critical for any kind of advancement in anything you're going to do. And I don't mean it from, a, like you were saying, not in a manipulative advance. So I'm just saying, if you want to get better at interacting with people and better at relationships and better at the communities that you're a part of, you're going to have to be willing to step into another sense of a community, another person's world and, and hear them, but it will expand you to a degree that is far beyond uh, what you could ever think, hope, or imagine. By the way, a little little secret of proverb is that even a fool can appear wise if he keeps his mouth shut. I haven't learned that one very well, but I'm getting there, getting there for all you fools out there. <laughs> I was the chief of one of those for a while. Now I'm hopefully I'm becoming a little bit less of an expert at it. Uh, the third one being fully responsible is the core of freedom. So being fully responsible is the core of freedom. And so being responsible ties into that you have ownership of the decisions you need to make. It does not mean you get to control the environment. It does not mean that you get to control your, all your circumstances. It does not mean that you control anybody else. You're fully responsible with your attitude, your reactions, your responses, which is uh, a part of, which is the term responsibility, right? Response, how you're going to mentally look at it, how you're going to deal with that. And you're, you're responsible for your decisions you're going to make in all of those, in every area you're at in life. When we have full responsibility, we're free. But again, responsibility isn't necessarily that your environment is changed. It means you come to a heart decision that I'm responsible for my thoughts, attitudes, reactions in this situation. And you can be free in anything. And that freedom ends up pulling you into other areas that you never thought you could get out of in your current situation. Well, we've talked about this many times in the podcast and maybe new listener, I can give some context, but I had talked before about doing the dishes and that being a sense of like ownership and like peace in my life, a time to slow down and take time. Well, I didn't tell you about the year before when the dishes were an issue and I didn't care. And I let them just pile up. And I said, well, since everyone else is doing it, it's not my responsibility. It's not my job to do everybody else's dishes, so I'll just add to it. And this year has really changed in that sense where it became like, man, I was getting so frustrated because we had a conversation as roommates. Okay, we need to do the dishes. They weren't still weren't getting done. We had a chore chart, just cut it off, nipped it, didn't do it because no one was doing it. And, you know, I, I took it upon myself. I'm like, well, someone's got to do it. And so I took responsibility over that part. And that gave me the freedom of just, I felt way better about the whole situation. It gave me freedom to control like my emotions over like coming home from a long day and just seeing a pile of dishes. And you're just like, oh man, I want, but it's like, no, I can, 
I can relax. I can do the dishes. I can, I can take something that would have really made me mad. And I can become part of the solution. I don't have to be a part of the problem. I can actually do something, take a step back and create a clean house <laughs> one step at a time. And that for me is something just kind of recently that like taking that being fully responsible over something gives you like the freedom of like, this is it. So here's my question slash thought on that. You know, what does it look like when responsibility is the core of freedom, but what does that look like when it is so comfortable to outsource responsibility? Not, not only in the sense of, you know, culture or government, but in the sense of feelings. Well, of course I'm depressed because of this person and this situation. It is so comfortable to be able to lay that responsibility on someone else. Like Tommy, you've probably felt at times it's a lot more comfortable to be able to be up, have a reason to be upset at your roommates because they're not holding up their end of the bargain because they're being lazy because they're the chores and like, it's a small scale, but this, this scale just expands to anything. It's such a more comfortable and in a sense, empowering feeling where, well, I'm the only one in the house that cares because they don't do it. You have to let go of that and take the responsibility. And then you found freedom in that. So what does that look like when we have a world of people that actually don't want freedom? They just want the comfortability of outsourcing responsibility. Do you think this is just the stem of what our old fallen nature desires? It's got to put blame on something else because it can't be us. Mm -hmm. But deep down at the heart of hearts, we know it's us. And that's what almost makes it more malicious and more, right? It becomes, it, it, it implodes. I forgot... There, there's an, an apologist that was was talking through an idea and he brought up this question and people are arguing over whether there was a heaven or whether there's a hell. And by the way, I'm at the point where I, I don't really know what the argument's really about. It's really the question of, would you want to spend eternity with God or would you want to spend eternity without him? Because many people want heaven, but they don't want God. They just don't want the afterlife to be a bad place. They want it good for them. And, and I get it. I get it. But the real question, th those aren't the questions. The question is, do I want to be with God for eternity or not? Because if you don't want to be with God now, why do you want to be with him for eternity? So separate point, but he made this idea. He goes, actually, if you really get to the heart of it, the true essence of the most brokenness of our human nature that runs, if we let our human nature, our old broken nature go to the maximum point, we'd be the most narcissistic, bittered individual. That's at the heart of the most hellish person place for a person's life is, is the depth of narcissism where the depth of Christianity or the depth of knowing God intimately is death to yourself was where you find life. So it's the absolute opposite of it's not about you. And so I find it interesting if you meet someone who is narcissistic and bitter and angry, there is a heaven and a hell, but they're living in uh, one here on this earth. And can you imagine a hell full of narcissistic people? Does it get any more bitter and gnashing of teeth? And I could just see they're still despising God. So for those that are wondering, that's my opinion of whether about what heaven and hell is. But the whole idea is yes, and I don't know how we get off where scripture says it doesn't really talk about it. The, the point is we're still trying to get something from God without God. We want the benefits he talks about without him. So anyway, mute point, but I bring all that to coming back to responsibility is when you realize you're the one who's broken, you are, you meet broken people and they frustrate you, but you also have to realize you were broken too. Victor Frankl says this, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. So Victor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor in the concentration camp. 
And here's what he said. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance to choose one's own way that can never be taken from a human being. That's their choice to choose the attitude in any given set of circumstances or to choose one's own way. And he also goes on to say, and this is in man's search for meaning when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. When we are no longer able to change a, a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. It doesn't mean conform yourselves. It means to recognize that I'm not going to be a victim, so something has to change. Therefore, it's going to be me. That is freedom. And again, we're talking about these small deliberate things that build into the relational things that build into our future is, but it's funny, even as we're talking, there's like this full circle. None of that happens until we're willing to take responsibility. You won't create a habit if you think you got everything going right. Right? We won't create, because a habit is something you have to do. So you won't create a new habit if we have it all going right. We won't reach into another person's world if we feel like we need to be heard. I'm not saying we don't need to be heard, but you won't be heard until you're first willing to hear. So this is that being fully responsible. So in whatever area you're in, you could be janitor and completely own your job. You could be at the lowest place of a company and completely own your job because you're not working for that person. But because of who you're working for, and God says, do all your work is unto God and not to men. That means you're doing this to honor God. That means the boss is going to be doing a whole lot better. And guess what? Someone's going to pick you up. Someone's going to do something with you, or you're going to so love your job. They're going to have to create something around you, but then it becomes something way bigger and they got to do something with you. And isn't that Joseph? I mean, we look through characters, they do that, but those are those little habits that didn't start that. This start with a mindset, right? When you go into it, it's like, I'm going to choose a habit of whatever I'm doing. I'm picking up that piece of paper. I'm going to make whatever I'm doing better. And you do, Jason. I watch the environments you're in and the, the places you participate in. It's better because you're there. You do things to make it better. You do things to make the conversation lighter. You do things to bring more joy into what's happening. You're deliberate about how you enter and you create an atmosphere in the room that you're in. But I think we think freedom is happy and freedom has nothing to do with happiness. It, you can experience happiness in freedom but there's deep joy in freedom, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always feel happy. It's not an emotion, but that's, that's, those are the places that I've just noticed uh, in our journeys and people that I've met and the, the, the people that um, have inspired into my life. Have we listened to things on the road trips? And these are kind of three common denominators that I've noticed about them that an effect of their life. It's not a secret to success. It's just principles but it, it will change who you are in your circumstances and what you're doing. Brian and I were just at a conference this last week, but one thing I noticed, and maybe you saw this too, was everyone who was working at that conference was happy and free and taking responsibility for their area. <clears throat> I frequented one of the cafes there. I frequented that, that entire complex, honestly. And I saw everyone from the janitors cleaning the bathrooms to the people giving um, speeches and the speakers for the evening, people just holding doors open, ushers. I saw everyone in multiple areas and I've been to conferences and you can tell there's someone working the cafe who just doesn't want to be there, but they put a smile on. And especially since I've grown up in the church, I know how to spot that from a mile away. But when I can see the person cleaning the toilets with the same genuine joy and happiness, when they're just hanging out, having lunch and their demeanor is the same, I know it's authentic and it's, they're taking responsibility for their role and they understand this is part of something bigger and I'm actually making an impact on people's lives and it doesn't matter if I'm holding the door open or on stage speaking. And that was such an impactful thing to be in an environment of those people. And I, I think we, we discount sometimes how much of an impact that has when other people just see you operate that way. It's crazy. 
This brings us back to the strength idea of bearing, bearing the weaknesses or bearing the problems of others and walking along with them. You do it in a way, first of all, where God's speaking, you don't just go pick up any problem. But there are problems that you can handle that if you stepped into, it could lift that whole situation. And we need to be that. But that's what makes great leaders. That's what makes, in God's kingdom, successful people. Esther did not need to bear the burden. And Mordecai didn't need to bear the burden of their nation's people because they had it made. But they needed to. Daniel, I mean, just the list is they did something that bore the burdens of someone else. Therefore, we have to get rid of the victim mindset, get rid of the who did what to us, because at some point you're the answer to those because they don't know what they're doing, but you do. I'll say from personal experience, it is so much more empowering when you hear you know, having the relationship with God, understanding grace and identity and all that from that foundation, hearing him say, you're strong, you can take this from someone else versus him saying, you're too weak to handle this. Let me take things away from you. You never want to hear that second part as a son or as anyone, but to know that you are in the ones in Romans 15 is talking about, you are the strong ones. So you can take responsibility where you might have an excuse to not take it or to say it's someone else's thing to deal with, but you are strong and you can take this and make it better because you do. And I think people don't realize that is what freedom is. Freedom costs something. It may not have cost you as much, but it costs someone for you to have it. And so when, once we start recognizing that it becomes easier to do this, but this is what, like what you just said, this is the depth of what a a son that's beloved wants. If you're taking it away, you're stripping something from me. A victim wants it taken away. A son wants it given to him. And we can choose to step in and think about how empowering it is. That's, I think we had talked about this. Uh, I'm not sure on the podcast, maybe it's someplace we were speaking together, but you know, Jesus says, if they strike you on one cheek, turn the other. If they ask you to walk one mile, walk two. If they take your coat, give them their garment also. That seems like such a passive and weak, like a, you're bullied, so just give in to the bully. No, these are deliberate actions. If they strike you on one, turn the other. You're offering something, you're like, you're going to still keep standing. I think of Apollo Creed when, when the, the scene of Apollo Creed in Rocky 1, when Rocky's down, and Apollo Creed is in full exhaustion, and then Rocky gets back up again. And he shakes his head like, no, <laughs> what's going on? There's something in the spirit. It's not like a deliberate against, but it's like there's something in the spirit that I'm not going to be moved by your strike. I'm going to keep standing. I'm not going to respond in the way you think I'm going to respond. And in the take, the walking one mile, go two. If they want to tell you to go walk one mile and you go two, guess who just won in the attitude? And it's not trying to, you're not doing it out of, I'll get back at you. You're going to have me go one, I'm going to go two. It's more like, I'll go two. I'm going to offer. You're not going to take, I'm going to offer. You're not going to take from me. I'm going to offer. Whatever you ask, I'm going to give you something more. Like you're beating that spirit down. There's a clip I just saw. Someone sent it to me and I don't know who it is. It's some fighter, some boxer where when he would get hooked across the face, he would he would do literally do that. He would turn the other cheek and let them hit him again. And he wouldn't flinch at it. And it was the most, let's see, how do I say this on the episode? Empowering and hard thing I've seen where it's like, go ahead and hit me, do it again. And it's not going to phase me. Like think of what that would do to your opponent when your entire strategy is don't let the other guy hit you as much as you hit him. And he's just saying, go ahead, do it. It doesn't phase me. That'll, that'll freak you out. Like that's, that's kind of a display of power. It's not weakness. No, now you do it with the right attitude. You do it with a sense that you, you, you don't control my life, but I'm not bitter at you. You do it from those perspectives, that, that melts somebody. It'll either enrage them or it'll melt them. But some fire is going to go off on the inside of them when you, you start doing that. I don't know if the fighter was the spiritual context. That was just, it was really cool to see. Here's the deal. If things in the natural kind of trigger an internal emotion, it could be that there's a spiritual correlation to it. 
So with that, um, I hope you guys walk away with something. Again, our whole idea with this podcast is that we grow stronger and we have real tools that we can work with that that shape the future of our life. And it can be easy getting focused either on what's right in front of us and all the problems that I have to overcome or so far into the future that it becomes so distant, it almost becomes a, a, an imaginary fairy tale. But that in-between stuff, so going from where you are right now towards that thing is going to begin with little things like this. What you just were talking about, Brian, going the extra mile, someone asked for one kill, give them both or whatever. That is where I learned how I can take responsibility and create my freedom. Because I always used to view those verses as I'm going to give something up because that's what I'm supposed to do. I never saw it in the eyes of power and taking control over the situation. I never saw it like that. And that's what really changed. And I guess really practical example, like I've been working my tail off all summer. I have so, I, you wouldn't believe I have quotes out there that are, could change my financial trajectory in life. But they're not moving. Why aren't they moving? It's me. It's my responsibility. The buck stops with me. It's not It's not them not wanting to spend their money. It's not them XYZ being stupid. It's not my customers. They're just grungy and they don't want to pay the money. No, it's I didn't communicate the value enough. I didn't move them along enough. I didn't create the relationship deep enough. And I think that's like, that's the most powerful thing is because you can change that tomorrow. But if I just said, oh, my customers don't want to spend money. Well, I can't change that. It's not on me. It's up to them. But when I know I can change that tomorrow, that means there's unlimited opportunity out there for me. And that even if I made those mistakes, those first couple of months, doesn't matter. Because I now know how I can fix those mistakes. And that's what gives me power to keep going. I'm going to close it with two things here. One, for anyone listening that's kind of skeptical on all of these things, bookmark this episode and then come back to it in six months or a year or five years when everything Tommy was just talking about has happened in his life and see if you're still a doubter then. The last thing I want to leave you guys with, life is not going to get easier the world situations in the world are not going to get better. What can happen is that you can become more strong and you can become more brave. Those are your options because things aren't going to change for you as, as much as you might like to believe that. And as many movies and TV shows as we've seen where, you know, life was going rough until something magically changed for this person and their life got better. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's fantasy for a reason. The world's not going to get better for you. So we got to step up and do something. And there, what you need to get through it is already in you. And we've talked about that at length. But we appreciate you guys listening in again. Next time you hear Brian's voice, he's going to be back in Thailand. So unless uh, we slash the tires on his airplane and get him to stay. But we appreciate you guys listening in. Until next time, keep the faith, stay in the fight.